First Peter chapter one. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. I hope you brought your Bibles to church. You get extra credit points in heaven when you bring your Bibles to church, okay? Also, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 46. Uh, This is not going to be on the screen. I added that this morning. So Isaiah chapter 46, we'll also spend some time there. So uh, we're having a conversation today. I want to talk to you about elect exiles, elect exiles. How many of you have ever, anybody in here ever had a concussion? Any concussions in here? Wayne shot his hand up real quick. Yeah, I bet you have, the way you play basketball, I bet you have had some concussions. I think I've had probably a couple of concussions uh, in just being clumsy and trying to play sports. It happens. Uh, when you have a concussion, it's so disorienting, and you're not really sure where you are. Sometimes you forget who you are, and you're stumbling and bumbling around. And uh, I, I really think that sometimes life just the world in general smacks you so hard upside the head that you're just kind of concussed. Any of you guys ever been there? And it's just like, you're so disoriented, you're not sure where to turn, you're not sure what to do. And I really think in, in a lot of ways for all of us, the last two or three years has just been like concussion after concussion. With all the crazy stuff, you know, starting with the, the COVID deal and then the vaccines and the lockdowns and the elections and there's riots, and there's fake news, and there's inflation, and there's wars, and there's just like one just headshot after the other, and we keep saying, I'll be glad when everything gets back to normal. I don't know that that's ever going to happen, right? And so here we are. We're just kind of stumbling around trying to figure out, like get our feet back underneath of us, and I think that's part of the reason the Lord just kept drawing me back to First Peter and saying that we need to spend some time studying it. Because First Peter is written to a group of people who have just been beat up by their circumstances. And they're totally disoriented. Their head is spinning. They're not sure where to turn. They're starting to lose the faith. And Peter, who had his shares of ups and downs, I talked about that last week, Peter writes to encourage them. And he wants to let them know there's hope. There's hope. Not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. So that's the conversation we're going to have today. Let's all stand together. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We stand in, reading, in honor of the reading of God's Word because these aren't just words on a page. We believe these are God's inspired words, and He has gone out of His way to preserve them for us today because God wants to tell you something today that's going to benefit and bless your life in this world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for my friends that I have gathered here. I thank you for everybody that's watching online. I pray a blessing on each and every one of them, Lord. And I pray as we have closed our eyes, we've lifted our hands, we have praised your name, Lord. We've opened your word. We're gathering around your word because, Lord, we honor you. And we, we long for more of you. And we realize without you, we have no hope. Uh, without you, we have no wisdom. And so, Lord, we ask today that you'll fill us with hope and wisdom, that your grace and your peace may abound in this room. I pray, Lord, that you'll use me 
that I might decrease, that you might increase, Holy Spirit, that you might have your way in this place. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment and pray for your church family. Pray for the people in this room. Take a moment and pray for those that may be watching online. You never know who's going to watch. You never know where they are in their life. Pray that people might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior today. Pray for our city, that the Lord's will might be done in Winchester and Clark County. Pray for our state and our nation. Pray for this crazy world we're living in. Take a moment and pray for yourself. You can pray a prayer or something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So there's some debate as to exactly, specifically, who Peter is writing to. This is a, um, it's a circular letter, and so he's going to write this letter, and it's going to travel from church to church to church in this various regions. Uh, but we can know pretty sure, most scholars agree, written sometime before A.D. 65, um, and written to a group of people who have been displaced from their home because of persecution, a group of Christian people displaced from their home. Hard to know the specifics, but uh, this is who Peter, uh, how Peter describes his audience. To the elect, or to those who uh, are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, now, this is an oxymoronic introduction, an oxymoronic address. Uh, elect exiles. Those are two words that don't seem like they go together. It's like a square circle or coach calipari. I guess I can't, I can't say that after yesterday. Okay, so I take it back. It was already in my notes, and so I wasn't going to pass up the opportunity. Low blow, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Oxymoronic, elect exiles, those, don't, those things don't seem like, those realities don't seem like they go together because the word elect, the biblical word, all throughout the scriptures, very important biblical word, and it means, in essence, very, like core level, it means um, that Peter is saying these people are the chosen of God. They are chosen by God. They are his treasured possession, adopted into his family, destined for salvation. And so Peter is saying of his audience, you are elect. You are special in the eyes of God. You are blessed and highly favored in God's eyes. Now that title doesn't really match the description that he gives of their situation. Because he says you're elect, but you're exiles. Now, the word exile means someone who has been displaced from their home. And so they're homeless. They're wandering around. They don't really have a place in this world. They're uprooted. And beyond that, they're not just homeless. They're of the dispersion. And so that suggests that we've got this group of people. They were in their home, and uh, somebody either in that region or some outsider came into their region, and they didn't like them. They didn't like these Jewish Christian people, and so they forced them out of their home. And so Peter is talking to a group of people who weren't, they weren't strong enough to defend their home. They weren't strong enough to hold on to what was theirs. They got rejected by this group of people around them, or this group of people came in. They looked at these Jewish Christians. They said, we don't want anything to do with you. You guys are weird. You guys are less than us, and they kicked them out. And so these are, these are the rejects. These are the outcasts. And Peter goes on to say, they're the exiles of the dispersion, and then he lists five regions in Rome that these people have been dispersed to. 
So that one time they were together, now they've been divided, and then they've been scattered among these five regions in the Roman province. Now, life for Jewish Christians in these Roman regions, these Roman provinces, wouldn't have been great. Uh, because you got to realize, in the Roman world, uh, they, they felt very comfortable with worshiping a pantheon of God, like a mountain of gods. They worshiped all the gods. And in each region, there was their own culture, their own traditions, their own temples, oftentimes their own gods that they would worship. And so what would happen, Rome didn't come in and say, you're not allowed to worship these gods anymore. They would take over a region, and uh, they, would, they would say, okay, you're welcome to worship like your little regional god. You're, little, you're welcome to worship in your temple that you've already built up. But we also want you to add to that some of these other gods. And so they, worship, they, just, they were comfortable with worshiping all the gods. The more gods, the better, because you're kind of covering your bases. It's like insurance, Okay. Problem was, for these Christians, they refused to worship anyone but Jesus Christ. Now, uh, that made them, to these people living in Pontus or uh, Cappadocia, it made these Christians look like weirdos. They were strange. You mean you only worship one God? And, and they would even call them, people in the Roman uh, provinces, they would call Christians atheists because they didn't worship hundreds of gods, they worshiped one. So they'd say they were atheists. So they were kind of ridiculed, they were bullied, they were, they were treated uh, like, kind of like outcasts, but they really got in trouble when some sort of tragedy would befall one of these regions. So maybe like there's a, a flood or an earthquake or a plague that sweeps through one of these regions. Uh, the people living there, they would, they would say, well, we must have angered the gods, and the gods are punishing us with this famine or this flood. And we have angered the gods because we are not worshiping the gods in the correct way. And so if we can just figure out who is not properly worshiping the gods and we punish them, then maybe the gods will forgive us and they'll take it easy on us. And so who is the most likely candidate to have ticked off the gods besides this group of people who refuse to worship them? It's the Christians, right? And so this is when Christians start getting arrested, they start getting beaten, they get, start getting killed. And so Peter is writing to these people, and they are in difficult situation. They've been beat up, they're homeless, they're outcasts, and they're persecuted. And Peter writes to them, and the very first thing he wants to communicate to them is that they are elect. Now, this is an important theme throughout the whole letter. We're going to keep coming back to this over and over. I think it's an important reminder in the world that we're living in. Don't let where you are in this messed up world make you doubt who you are in Christ. That's Peter's message throughout the whole. Don't let your, where you find yourself in this messed up world, don't let it confuse you. Don't let it make you doubt who you are in Christ. Throughout the letter, Peter is going to acknowledge their difficulties and their difficulties are varied. They're all living in different regions. And so, you know, somebody that lives in Winchester is gonna have different problems than somebody maybe lives in Lexington. We could go through here and list your problems and your difficulties and some of you are diff you're having marital problems. Some of you are having financial problems. Some of you are having health problems. And Peter says, all these things are valid. All these things are true. But he is also going to affirm their destiny in Christ with a goal of building their confidence, building their faith, building their hope so that they won't give up on the faith. So they won't stop doing the right things, even when all the wrong things are happening, so that they'll continue to walk in Christ. Now, these hurting and hopeless people, they hear this oxymoronic introduction, elect exiles, and they got to be thinking, Lord, uh, Peter, 
what's, what's the basis for our confidence? What's the basis for our hope? And so what Peter does is he points to three spiritual truths that they're already familiar with, and he's just going to remind them of these things. And this is what I want to remind you of today. Three things. God's plan, God's power, and God's purpose. Can we see it in verse 2? Peter says, all of these things that have happened to you, the good, the bad, the ugly, all these things are happening, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Peter's saying, all this is happening according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, according to God's plan. Now, um, just the evidence in Peter, uh, it makes us believe that his audience are Jewish Christians. So they grew up Jewish. They grew up reading what we call the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew Bible. They're very familiar with that. At some point, they had an encounter with Jesus or Jesus' people, and they gave their life to Christ. So they're Jewish Christians. As Jewish Christians, they would be familiar with the God of the Old Testament. They would be familiar with God the Father. And so that's why I want to point you to Isaiah chapter 46. This is, uh, they're, they're familiar with this concept of God. Okay, that God knows the end from the beginning, every day written down in his book, his word will not return void. Let me read this to you. Remember what happened long ago. For I am the God, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. I declare the end from the beginning, and from long ago, what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place, and I will do my will. I call a bird of prey from the east a man for my purposes, far, from a far country. Yes, I have spoken, so I will bring it about. I have planned it. I will also do it. Listen to me, you hard-hearted, far removed from justice. I am bringing my justice near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion, my splendor in Israel. And so Paul, um, Peter encourages the exiles with this fact. From eternity past, God foresaw and signed off all of these events. From eternity past, God planned everything that was going to happen in this situation. It may look like a mistake. It may look like a disaster. It may look like injustice, but it is actually all going according to plan. Whose plan? God the devil? God the maniac? God the fool? God the weakling? Is that who he says? He says, no, God the Father. Jesus once said, what father among you, if your son asks for a piece of bread, is going to give him a snake? He said, if you who are evil, you who are corrupt, you who are selfish, you who are sometimes foolish, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your perfect heavenly father? It's not a bad plan. It's not an evil plan. It's not a foolish plan. It's a good plan. What does Paul say? For all things work together for what? For all things work together for what? The good of those who are called according to his purpose. Joseph said it this way, what the devil meant for evil, God will use for good. God's got a plan. It's all going, Peter says, according to God's plan. Second thing, it is achieved by God's power. Verse 2 again, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. So Peter says the Holy Spirit is working in this situation to sanctify. That's where the word sanctification, sanctify. Sanctify means to set apart for God's special purpose. Here's another way to think about it. The Holy Spirit 
is working to make things the way they ought to be. Peter here is encouraging these people who have been forced from their homes, saying, you may feel weak, you may feel helpless, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that death and darkness and the devil does not have the final say. The gates of hell have absolutely no power over our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Bible goes on to say, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in you. It is now at work in this situation. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so it may look like you're in godless Galatia. It may look like you're in Crappadocia. It may look like you're in a hopeless and a helpless, terrible, tragic situation. It may look like there is no hope, dead end, but in reality, you are in the almighty hands of God. In reality, you are in the almighty hands of God. It's all going according to God's good plan. It is all achieved by his almighty power. Third thing, it is all accomplishing God's purpose. Verse 2 again, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. So what's the point of all this, Peter? God's plan, God's power working through the exiles for what purpose? The Jewish Christians, Peter says, God is working to make you obedient to Christ and sprinkle you with his blood. Now, the blood and the obedience, they actually work together. But we don't need to think about these things as two separate things that God's doing. It's actually one thing. It's a, it's a compound that, that God is doing. Uh, the, if their blood is there, the obedience will be there. Okay, The blood is for salvation. Salvation is for obedience. So the sprinkling of his blood, again, we're talking about Jewish Christians. They've got familiarity with the Old Testament. Their mind is immediately going to go back to the tabernacle in the temple. So let me give you a little Bible history. I think this is going to help you today. God had chosen, had elected this group of people known as the Israelites. And uh, they were set apart by God to be his representatives to the rest of the world. They had been slaves in Egypt after a series of unfortunate events. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God heard their cries. He miraculously saved saved them, delivered them from uh, slavery. And uh, at this point in the story, we find them sojourning through the wilderness, Uh, effectively, they're homeless, okay? And they're on their way to the promised land. God comes to these exiles, and he says to them, "Uh, you are gonna be my people, and I am your God, and I wanna live with you. And so he makes his dwelling among the people. And we see this picture in the Old Testament where God instructs the people to build him a house. It's a tabernacle. It's like a huge tent. And there's all these holy things in the tent. And so they, they erect, they build this tent, And then the Bible says that God's spirit descends on the tent in the form of a cloud. And so that's how they know God's presence is with them. Here's the problem with God's presence living among the people. And this is what the people did. They all took their little tents, their homes, and they all camped around the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was at the heart of their city. Problem with that is all of us have sinned. Amen? And so we've got people that are just, they do dumb stuff. They do selfish stuff. They do things that aren't befitting a place of a holy God. And so it's, it's actually dangerous for them to be in this vicinity close to the manifest presence of God. And so God makes provision for the people so that they can continue to live with him. And so he, he gives them this plan. He says, okay, this is what I want you to do. 
periodically, I want you to have a priest who is the representative uh, for the people. I want you to put, have the priest put his hands on a spotless lamb. And he is going to, uh, he's going to set this lamb apart as they're going to be like your substitute. And then I want you to sacrifice the substitute. All your sins placed on this lamb. The lamb is going to be sacrificed. I want you to take some of his blood, the blood of this spotless lamb, and I want you to sprinkle it on all the holy things in the tabernacle, all the furniture of the tabernacle. This is going to provide a covering for the priest so that he can enter into this holy place on behalf of all the people so they can continue to live in God's presence and represent him on the earth by obediently walking in his ways. So that through this elect group of people, all the nations might be blessed, knowing God personally and walking in his ways. And so we're here in Winchester, 4,000 years after this tabernacle is in the Middle East. Why are we here? Because this people faithfully lived in the presence of God. They went where God instructed them to go, and God's kingdom slowly and surely advanced till the time we get of Jesus, and then people continue to do that. And here we are, 4,000 years after the fact, God has blessed all the nations by their obedience, by the sprinkling of the blood and the walking in obedience. Okay, so this is what Peter's doing to these Jewish Christians who are in a difficult situation. He's hyperlinking their situation back to the Israelites in the wilderness. And he's saying, you are in exile, but God has elected you He has chosen you to be his special people, to be his representatives upon the earth. And he has sprinkled you with the blood of his one and only son, covering over your sin so that his spirit might tabernacle in you and that his image might be bore through your obedience to the ends of the earth so that every knee bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so this is what Peter's saying. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know it's confusing, but it's all going according to God's plan. It's all being achieved by God's power, and it's all accomplishing his purpose. So the world views you as an exile, but God is using you as a missionary. Evil men tried to divide your family, but God is using you to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. The devil tried to kill the church in the Roman provinces that he he scatters all these Jewish Christians to. But in reality, God used it to multiply his people and advance his kingdom. Do you know what happened in each one of these regions just 100 years later? Each and every one of these places that Peter wrote to became an epicenter of Christian ministry and mission. It was like the heart of the Christian movement. Here's Peter's prayer in writing this letter, and here's my goal in preaching this to you today. Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, this is what Peter does. He ties God's grace with God's peace. That's what I believe. If you better understood God's grace, you would better receive and live in God's peace. God's grace is the unearned favor of God. It's unearned so when, God, when Peter says to this group of people, you are elect, it does not mean that they are elite. Do you see the distinction? It is unearned. God chose them. He elected them by according to his foreknowledge. He elected them. He chose them before they did anything good or anything bad. 
He chose them according to his good pleasure, not their good nature. Now, let me tell you why this is important. If it is unearned favor, if it is unearned inclusion in the plan of God, if it is unearned access to the power of God, if it is unearned reception of the promises of God, if all of it is unearned, if it's unearned, it can't be unearned. Are you tracking with me? If you didn't deserve it in the first place, then you can't undeserve it. Now, why is that important? Because Peter doesn't want these exiles and he doesn't want you to let your place in the world confuse you about your place in Christ. I heard a lady say once, she said, God must have abandoned me because my pool liner of my in-ground pool just keeps leaking. He must have abandoned me. Now, here's the reality. We laugh at that, but the truth is we all do that, don't we? When bad things happen, when, 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 when stuff is just like confused and just like I it's rain, after it rains and it pours. You know, I can't win for losing. Two, one step forward, two steps back. And it gets confusing. It makes you feel like, well, maybe God hasn't been in me. Maybe God, maybe God has turned his back on me. But I want to ask you a question, and I need you to verbally respond to this. You're going to help me preach to you this morning, okay? I'm going to ask you two questions. Just verbally respond to this. Christians, are you washed in the blood? Now, this is what I mean by that. Have you recognized I am unworthy to live in proximity to a holy God? And I realize the only way it's going to happen is I have to apply the life-saving, the pure, the spotless blood of Jesus Christ to my life. He's got to be my sacrifice. He's my only hope, so I put my faith in him. Are you washed in the blood, yes or no? Okay, second question. Are you walking in obedience to Christ? We said these two things are connected, okay? Are you, now this is what I'm, not that you're perfect. Not that you're perfect. I have sinned this week, okay? I don't walk on water. My brother's laughing because he knows. Not perfect. But, hey, we're trying our best, right? There's not known willful sin. There's not sin that just sets in me, and I'm like, oh, it's cool. God, no. If it's in me, it's bothering me. Are you doing your best to walk in obedience to Christ, yes or no? Okay, if you are washed in the blood, and if you are walking in Christ, that is proof that you are chosen by God. His his plan is on you. His power is on you. His purposes are going to be accomplished through you. God has a plan for your life. God has power over your life. God has a promise for your life, and he will not fail. Amen. Amen. Be encouraged today that every bit of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, every bit, all of God is working in all of this for all his people, for all are good. The world may have you feeling like an exile, but praise God today, you are elect. Because you refuse to bow down to the godlessness of the world, in the years to come, life is not going to get easier for you in a practical sense. You need to understand that. Okay? There's a battle on the horizon. There's a war, a spiritual war. is on the horizon. Okay? And you will be persecuted. Hear me say it. In some way, 
You may lose a job. You may be called names. You may be ostracized. You may lose opportunities. Who knows? You may get arrested. There's people getting arrested in the United Kingdom for praying a silent prayer, okay? Reality, okay? It's not going to get easier. It's going to get more difficult. And the world will call you a bigot. They will try and make you an outcast. They're going to treat you like a threat to progress, a menace to polite society. But hear me say this. Because you are in Christ, you are blessed and highly favored. You are chosen by God. You are set apart for a special purpose. You are the light in the darkness. You are the salt of the earth. You are destined for glory in Jesus' name. So don't stress and don't strain over the temporary trials and tribulations of this life. Put your faith in Christ. And by his grace, you will be given the power to do the right things even when all the wrong things are happening. And you will be given the peace to rest well, even in a strange place. You may be in exile, but you are even more an elect. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that we're all encouraged today that you've got your hand on our life. Before we were born, before we did anything good or bad, for no purpose, no reason of our own, only according to your good pleasure, you put your hand on our life and you said, this one's mine. I'm going to protect him. I'm going to provide for her. I'm going to guide her. I'm going I'm to lead them. And so we just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus Christ who makes the provision. And thank you for the destiny that you've given us, Lord. Encourage us today, wherever we might find ourselves, that we are in your hands. We praise you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song. Uh, this is song we call an invitation song, but it's just a time to be prayed for. If you're here today and you're carrying a heavy load, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weak and weary, and I'll give you rest. This is what I'm finding. A lot of times I pray about things, and I'm like, okay, Lord, I need you to deal with it. And then the next day I go and I take it back from Jesus. Like, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it back. Anybody else see that? This is what I got to learn in 2023. There are things that are just beyond my control. And no matter how hard I try, I'm not going to be able to fix it. No matter how hard I try, I'm not going to be able to do it. And so I just got to lay it down at Jesus and say, listen, I'm going to do my best and I'm going to give the rest to you. This song is an opportunity to do that. If you're here today and you're burdened, just come kneel at this altar. Let one of our prayer warriors pray over you. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, The first part of the promise, the first part of the grace and the peace is you surrendering your life to him. That's the first part. So if you haven't done that, if you haven't applied the blood of Jesus to your life, then you're outside the promises. We don't want that for you. So come and talk to me. Let me tell you about your next steps. Let me pray for you. As we sing this song, come.